This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome to Real Adventures. Good morning and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you are listening right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. He's fresh off 13 from 17 hookups on the barrels last week. Why would you say fresh? Aaron... There's nothing fresh about me Aaron right Redman <laughs> Habgood. He's wobbling into the... Yes, I am, actually. ...Real Adventures studios this morning. Like, something I have never seen. Yeah, I got the right to today, I reckon, Pat. That's a good effort. That's about as... I said this... And then... A little while ago. And then, boy... You slayed the gummy sharks during the week. And we yeah, were, I wanted today's... It was, it was funny enough. I said to you at the start of the week, before you fish, I said, oh, keen, to, keen to talk sort of gummy sharks this week. And you know, what are your plans? And you said, hold that thought. I'm actually fishing for them tomorrow. And then you posted a few... Fo- they looked like they were in the 30 kilo range. Yeah, they well and truly were. But the seal... Hey, what do you want at the moment? I'm on fire. Oh, <laughs> Talk about! I tell you what, you you'll feature hey, on the sounding you, board you, this week. Did you the see third, that bag of whiting I got too, and the, the third, bag of squid. The third person congratulator of the year. Just what you're just claiming you're on fire. Yeah, well the greenies don't like me. Well, <laughs> so let me just rehash: thirteen of seventeen possible barrels. Yeah, Port, Port Mac, incredible at the moment. You want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, I do. All right. I'm I'm keen because we've got uh, Curtis Waterman from Helco Tackle joining us a little later in the show, and it's relevant because of how well Helcos are fishing at the moment and how many charter mm. operators are using them. Um, we need to ask him the tough questions, like where are the King Browns? Are they in, can we get <laughs> some in, in stock? Are there any available? Um, let's talk the tuna yep. before we get into the big gumbos. Yeah, so we... Picked our time again, Pat, as I'd like to do. Uh, you know what I'm like with fishing. I don't like wasting time. I like catching. It sounds dumb, but as a job, you've got to catch. Well, I went out during the week and I, Dad and I both had the, um, it's just wonderful to be out here. We didn't catch any tuna. We caught a lot of fish, just not any tuna. Yep. So you wouldn't have liked fishing with us. No, I wouldn't have. It's, uh, <laughs> it, I was like, you didn't even give me a call during the week. I felt a little bit left out there. Well, it was but, a late, it was a late um it was a late morning decision. No, I wouldn't have come anyway. Uh, <laughs> so we just made that decision to go down. I planned it, picked my weather. It was rough the day before, and then it was still a little bit rough that next day, mm. which was the Thursday. And then the Friday was going to be beautiful. I said, yep. if we have a good day Thursday, we won't worry about Friday. We go home. Nice and early. Refreshed. Anyway, we, um, we headed down to Port McDonald the night before, and we got everything ready as we do. And we stayed at Jace's from Port McDonald Charters at his fantastic facility, back the boat in the shed. It's unbelievable. How's he going? In ter- like, obviously, Charters are going. Reckons just- he's booked out. Yes, yeah, going nuts. Yeah. When I say booked out, he'll have the odd one, but he's got plenty of work, which is yes. great Great to see. Yep. But anyway, we, we ventured out, and I expected to have... We, no one had really done damage at Port Mac yet, caught a lot of fish. Portland was slowed up, and... 
Port, and I'm like, maybe the fish have moved to Port Mac, which is which is what we've like, been talking about in the report, saying these aren't you know, the same I, fish. I remember a couple of weeks ago, you were saying it's going to come at yep. some point, and we had Shane Mintzforth on the show, and he was talking about Port Mac's numbers are starting to build. Yep. These aren't the same fish. These are not the same fish that was at Portland. I was fortunate enough to land. I've probably landed, say, 10 to, say, 15 barrels out of Portland this season. When yep. I say barrels, we had that argument last week. I still shouldn't be saying it because I was the one that said it's got to be 100 kilo. But you did. a lot you of that did. 70 to 80 kilo barrels, I'll call it. We haven't confirmed it yet, Pat. <laughs> it's, but it's uh, it's the, these fish that we caught were all nearly over 100 kilo. Yeah. Like we did, we caught so one smaller fish. one. They're yep. big fish. Yep. And, like we probably had, say, three to five under 100, around that 90. To a 70, and then all the rest were over 100, like up to 130. Like, we let go some monsters. Uh, back to what I was saying, we headed out the wind all of a sudden. We just see in the distance, just albatross. So we're traveling out in the albatross. Albatross are my favorite because they sit on bait balls, they're a scavenger bird. Yep. They're not a gannet, they don't dive. They sit on the top and they feed off the top. They feed on dead things, they feed on bait balls. They are a scavenger lazy bird. When there's albatross in the area where there's tuna as such, generally, you know that something's going to happen on the surface. Yep. So I've gone, boys, we're on here. As we're driving out, I'm like, watch this. And this comes back to the discussion I have. Watch what's around you. And I'm following these albatross, and they're pushing west. They're pushing west. And I'm like, just keep tacking with them. It was quite rough. We put the lures out, and I was sounding for live bait. I was trying to catch live bait. So you're being really patient in terms of the birds are there. Yep. Just stay the... Track with them. Maintain the process. Yep. Yep. Tracking with them, just yep. sitting in my normal plan. And all of a sudden, in the distance, I said... I found it. Here we go. Yep. I just seen, I reckon, no word of a lie, a thousand albatross in an area, just whoosh, just on one spot. And I yep. said, this is going to happen anywhere within 50 metres of us, 100 metres of us. It's going to happen here. I just waited. At, at that time, is the sound of lighting up like you're nah, seeing waves of we, bait? We, we, not a lot of bait. Like it was, it was enough, but not stupid amount. We were trying to, it was obviously red bait. My sabiki that I was running was a bit bigger. And we we're about to swap it to a smaller one to try and catch it. But all of a sudden, it's just come up, pulled the lures through, bang hooked up on a lure, first fish. We go back, we actually lost that fish. We come back around with the lures, didn't hook up. Yep. While the lures are out, I stopped the boat on the bait ball in the next turn. We scooped up about 30 red bait out so of the bait Literally ball. on the surface. This comes back to the albatross. Yep. The albatross are feeding on that and there's 50 seals on it, there's sharks, you name it. There's everything on this bait ball. You just see these bronzies just everywhere eating these fish. We chucked the bait in the live bait tank, which we're going to talk about live bait tanks later. Yeah. Uh, so we've got chucked him in the live bait tank. As we're pulling the lures in, because Chucky scooped it, and we're not Chucky from the Cats, another Charles. I was going to say, man, he's... He's not on the boat anymore. He's sacked after last efforts. Uh, but he uh, we, he just hooks one on, bang through the hook, dropped in the water. Within two seconds, we're on. Yeah. First fish. And throw one in, bang, double, straight away. We're on two. Got both of them. Go back. Took another two. Literally, within the hour, we're just within the first four hours, we hook we landed we hooked I can't remember where we land, we hooked seven barrels in the first few hours of the bait ball. Didn't go down because it was only us there and Jace from Port Mac Charters. I think he got four by lunch. He had customers on the boat, so a bit different to how we're fishing. But Yeah, it's harder. Yeah, much harder. <laughs> he's a poor bloke. No, nah, but he's uh it, it just turned on for us. It stayed up. And then the key was, will this come up again? Once again, watching the albatross. They didn't leave an area. So you're, so they you're tossing up whether to go in or you're going... Or, go, oh, or I wasn't going to go in because I was like, this is going to happen. But it was more like, do we go looking if there's something else happening? And I said, no. We're going to work these albatross. So what they do, they sit on the water and they hold an area. And I've gone, let's just tick really slow, three to five kilometers. 
don't run your lures because you don't get the best. You get a good pitcher, but like if, if you know the fish are there, but I don't know where the fish are. So go really slow, maintain the area where these birds are, tick slowly. We mark up a fish, got live bait on, drop it in. So no birds, this is no birds. The fish are down deep. We ended up getting another four fish by tactically working in 50 metre to 100 metre arc of where these birds were and these fish. Just kept marking them up, dropping baits back down like this. Yep. Bang, pulling it out, pulling it out, drop it in. I like how you're doing it. I know, I had to, I had to explain it then. Ex, ex, yeah. I was explaining and, it. I'm and still doing it. on radio. I was, I, that's why I told, <laughs> went back to explain it because I look like an idiot sitting here. We dropped the bait in and then all of a sudden we managed to get four that way. It wasn't as productive as the bait ball, so we managed another four. Mm. And then... I turn, I go back to the area and I'm watching these albatross and they all just pick up from that area and just start flying out. And I'm still marking fish up where I was and I said, pull them in, I know they're going to a bait ball. They're not flying for no reason. They're a lazy bird. They don't want to burn their energy. Yep. I pull it in, we start driving out about a cane and a half and I could just see birds, a couple of gannets in the distance up high. I'm like, there's going to be albies here. Starting to go. Yeah. We got like a kilometre from them and you could just crystal see just everything. The whole afternoon till dark, we left before dark because I wanted to come in safe through the Port Mac bar because the swell was up. I'm not familiar Fair with enough it. enough too. Yep. yep. Went the way out. How's my engine conked out going out? Picked up seaweed. Conked out. Overheated because we picked up seaweed because it's a shocking amount of seaweed in there. In the middle of the bar, four metre swell. I'm just oh, cacking no. my dax. Turn the engine off to get it going. Overheated in limp mode. These waves are breaking around me. I'm like, oh my God. Turn it off. Finally, the new tech, obviously, the Merc kicked back in. It cooled its salt water cools quite quick, cooled itself down within a couple of minutes. But it was the old pooper was going like this, Patrick. I know that's on radio, but everyone knows everyone knows what I'm saying there. And uh, I we got it going out of there. Just the seaweed picked up and covered the intake. So just just yeah. what happens? It's just a place where that that things can go wrong. And we we anyway the afternoon just lit up. And again, we had the same thing. Here's a cracking story. Chucky, who was fishing with me, was trying to scoop up bait. So. We could have got doubles every time, but we were stuffed. So we're just taking it in turns. The boys, one fish, one gets a rest. Because we had it to ourselves. No one else was there. Yeah. We just get one, go back, get another one. And because no boats were destroying it, it just stayed up all afternoon. And we're trying to scoop bait. Chucky's over the side. This is great. I'm trying to net him. He's like, the fish was staying deep at this, the bait was staying deep. He's got his arms up like that. All his shirts tucked up to his shoulders. He's hanging over the side with a net and he's trying to net the bait. And all of a sudden, he gets a handful of them because they were hard to get. He swings it in. And I go, go again. Here it comes. Here it comes. He swings over. And this 120, 150 kilo bronzy just comes out, oh, mouth yes, open. Yes. And nearly, he was literally just about to put his head over. It crashed <laughs> straight into, no exaggeration, it crashed straight into the side of the boat where he was standing. I've never seen a six, six foot six man's face change <laughs> colour and just in seconds, oh, the sharks were out of control. It was unbelievable to see what we had. I said this about when Lee and I had it. It'll never get better than that. It got better. Well, you it's, said a month ago, I'll never have a better day no. than that. I think you caught seven with Lee that we day. We did, all in the afternoon. And this was similar. To be honest with you, Lee's was probably better because there was like five patches of this where this was just to ourselves, even though we had that to ourselves, but it was... that Lee's was glass calm conditioned, but I think the fact we got 17 in the day, hookups, it was... And we could have got 30 if we had to run doubles, but we just took our time and just had fun. We enjoyed them. We only killed our first one, which yep. was 93 kilo gutted and bled. So that would have been 105, 110 kilo fish, give or take. We didn't even wait um, until we got back the next day. So with all the gills and guts out of it. So we waited at home when we got home. 
where you got 17 for the day. You look at my arms. I've still got burn marks all over my hands. I've got to start wearing gloves. We're on radio, man. Um, we can't no, see No, I'm showing hands. you. <laughs> uh, so I uh, ended up quite sore, and uh, the boys were sore. So we went to the Port Mac pub that night. A couple of quiet jammos, Patrick, and we... Uh, the Michael Jamison. Yep, a couple of quiet jammos and palmy. a nice feed at the pub. It's a great... Uh, I think we had a pub in the night before. It was a, it's a good pub down at Port Mac. It's a great place to go. Everyone is so welcoming, honestly. It's a fantastic place. And we drove home. We woke up at about six the next day. We all woke up. And what, what's, the drive the, what's the drive from Melbourne? Uh, you're looking at five and a half, I reckon. It's four and a half, four hours, 50 for me. Worth it at the moment? Yep. 100%. Don't go. <laughs> it <laughs> is. It is. And uh, on that long weekend, which I caused that, uh, I, I caused that uh, rush, there was about 200 boats out over the long weekend. The first day, everyone got fish. Then they just got spooked and they didn't come up. But I've heard some good reports in the last few days. So it's definitely worth it, Pat. A lot of I, 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 a lot of me, me, me. Yeah, I'm having Eric. a mo. Come on, it from, was a, it was a once in a, no one's done that before, Patrick, from, so I'm claiming it. Let of, me have my little moment. A lot of I, 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 me, me, me on Real Adventures this morning. We've got a massive <laughs> show ahead. We're catching up with Curtis Waterman. S- sound from, like my co-host. From LK Tackle a little later in the show. But after the break, we have the whip around. We find out what's biting in your neck of the woods. And Aaron's going to talk through the monster gummy sharks that he's been catching. All that and more on Real Adventures. You're listening to Real Adventures. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's now time for the whip around. We find out what's biting in your neck of the woods. We start off in New South Wales and the never-ending season of marlin keeps going from strength to strength. Tarthra to Burmy, there's huge reports, well, consistent reports, Redmond, uh, is yeah, what you keep hearing. Fives and sixes, just great fishing. Really, really good fishing. So hasn't slowed up as such. A couple of days, a little bit quieter, but if you want to go get a late-season marlin, I know I had a couple of mates that headed down there, and they managed, I think, in the four days, they managed only like 20 fish. So bloody well worth going down there, Pat. Do you want Pl- me to take your dust off your boat again? <laughs> uh, there's plenty of kingfish as well along the Sydney coast region uh, with live bait working the best. And once you get them up and going, then jigs have been quite successful as well. Offshore reefs at Bundy, uh, fishing very good. Plenty of red emperor, coral trout, Spanish mackerel, all the likes have been getting caught too. Woodgate Beach, also fishing great with some big flathead brim and whiting being caught. So this is land based. Fresh yabbies, beach worms, or pippies. That is the go-to for those fish. The West, Dunsborough, the salmon uh, are starting to run hot off the beaches with fish to 90 centimetres, which for an Australian salmon, that is a seriously big fish. And you talk about getting, like, they're great fish to catch for anyone, but you're getting kids into fishing. This is a great way because if they're there, you can pretty much guarantee yourself a fish. Yeah, I would, they're big salmon. Like massive, ninety centimeters, massive, four or five kilo, and of course, Patrick. I couldn't leave him out. Jazz it's been a, it's been a month. Yeah, jazz it's charters. been a month. Give me, give it. Let me have my little moment with Jazz Charters. What are they? Being I actually about? know what he looks like now. He uh, posted a video, you know, alive during the week, and he had it turned on him. And that was the first time I'd ever seen him. Your man, Jazz. Charters. I need to get him on, but he uh, he's been getting fish to ten kilo out of Frio. So that's the local waters of Frio. So out wide there, there. Fish up to 10 kilo, massive knobby fish, and it's just a never-ending snapper season by the looks of it over there. It looks absolutely terrific. Now, I want to give a report on South Australia here, Pat. All right. Gulwa. Something a little bit the different. The pippies. The pippies, mate. Yes. That's, and whenever I think I'm of Gulwa, I think of pippies. It would be cheaper for me to get a plane from Melbourne Airport 
to South Australia to drive to wherever the hell Gula is and go get pippies than it is to buy a packet from the server. <laughs> That's how expensive they are. So if you want to save a dollar or two, head to Gulwa Beach. It is loaded with pippies. And, of course, you can turn them into your uh, King George Whiting and all the likes because they are a fantastic bait. And, like I said before, the, the beaches are literally loaded with them. Uh, Port Hughes, speaking of King George Whiting, there's been some really solid reports out of Port Hughes. Yeah, and Yellowfin too. So the Yellowfin Whiting, the Shane Memphis special. So there's uh, some good fishing with the Yellowfin and the King George and as well as Balgoran. Does that sound right? Balgoran? That place there? The one doing the report, mate. Yep, there's uh, some really good, there's ever, there's good there's fishing ever, there. There's ever something I can't. Uh, pronounce. I normally don't refer th- to me. I normally throw it to you. <laughs> Let's head across. Spelling's right because I had to correct it four times. <laughs> Let's head across to Tassie. Uh, there's been plenty of cooter turning up at Bell Reeve off the pier. Yeah, so over the long weekend into the school holidays, a lot of kids had some fun there, and I love seeing kids into fishing bats. So it was great to see them on the pier casting some medals and also bait too for the for the young ones that can't cast as well. And St Patrick's River, not named not named after you, Patrick, but uh, the trout are running hot. Same fish, though, that you catch in the Otways. So they're small fish, but the streams are full of them. So the techniques that you always talk about, your salters and your silly fly fishing, all that stuff, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that will work in the St. Patrick's River in, uh, in Tassie there. Not bite. And we finish off in Victoria. Yep. Uh, you the, want to talk a bit about the gumbo? I want to talk a bit about offshore gummy shark fishing because you went out during the week. Uh, and, and with you know all the focus being on the barrels and the school bluefin tuna, one of the things that sort of get lost lost at different stages are the gummy sharks. And really, they're there consistently right throughout the year. And you chase them during the week. So we're going to go a little bit of a, a how-to. How did you start? What conditions were you looking for? And you obviously had uh, you had a great day. There's actually a little bit of art to this. So it wasn't about just going out there and anchoring like I normally would on a 35-metre line on a reef, which is very productive, works quite well. But does this sound bad if I was like, oh, I was 100% confident that I was going to do really well? No, you know, you know the conditions. Okay, so, so what I looked for was that light northerly wind, hence the ocean being completely flat. What I also looked for was the swell that would, had been cranking the days before, so I knew the water in close was going to be dirty. Yep. And then another thing, back of the moon, tides are cranking. Tides are back. I love my tides. <laughs> back of the moons, I always talk about them. We anchored in shallow water. We're in literally 15 metres of water off the back of Barlin Heads, right? Shallow. Anchored up, can't see the bottom. Perfect. Just before dark, so everything comes into the shallows to feed at night. And I love this area because you just, the fishing in there, when just before dark, that hour before into an hour after, is just sensational. We ended up with five gummies and two schoolies. We lost a gummy to a, to a seal. We lost two school sharks to two to a seals as well. And I'll tell you a little story quickly about these seals. They gave us grief from the minutes we got out. We drove out, went to catch bait. So what we did was a ras drift pat just to catch ras. And these seals followed us. So we ended up giving some ras to the seals to try and distract them. We drove eight kilometres away from where we were fishing, gave them some ras to eat, drove back to where we were fishing, and these seals still followed us, two of them. They hanged at our boat, and I'm thinking, shallow water here. They're going to give us grief. We're not going to catch anything. First bait that went down because we raced the seals back. No joke. 30 seconds, we hooked up. Seals weren't there. They stayed the whole time. You try catching a 30 to 35 kilo gummy sharks when there's two seals chasing them. 
It's, 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 it's like trying to hold Tom Hawkins back in the goal square, Patrick. It doesn't happen. They are just pulling so hard because he seals, and they managed to take a few off our line. Two school sharks and a gummy. They, 30 kilo sharks, these things are just picking them up and just and throwing going. them. Yep. Like, incre- but they weren't even hungry. They were just doing it for the sake of it, and they didn't leave our boat till dark came. So we fished shallow. We followed the techniques I just said to you then. Uh, that was the plan of attack, and we did really, really well. Heading across to Lake's Entrance Way, those swordfish, they're having dramas with the puffers again. We spoke about it last year. Yeah. I was actually meant to head up with Lee during the week, but the, uh, but the tow, he said, don't worry, the people are losing four to six rigs, which is two to four grand. I was going to say that <laughs> expensive. the costing. Yeah, yeah, because lights, lean, braid, everything gone. Leaders, top shots, everything gone. So they're having dramas. Plus uh, it's the fuel to go 80Ks offshore. Well, the, yeah, and the fuel. And Lee actually had a an engine malfunction during the week, so he had to drive back in limp mode. So, like, it's 80 kilometres in limp mode, which isn't great. So, <laughs> it's a long time. Uh, so, I'm glad I wasn't there anyway. Uh, the also, lighting in the Calamari. Well, I want to head back into Close Off Lakes entrance. The snapper in Close Off Lakes and the gummies are on fire. They are everywhere. Snapper up to three, four kilo off lakes at the moment, from pinky size to three, four kilo. Plague proportions off Lakes entrance. So you don't need to go out to the sword rounds if you want to have some fun and get a fair Are you fish. drifting? Are they drifting along? They're a bit, the of, bit of both. I yep. know some that anchor and some that drift. So there's different methods that will work. If you get on a patch, you can just drift it. It'll, be, it'll work well. Uh, where did you say before? I was just questioning the whiting and the calamari yep. from Western Port to Port Phillip. Yeah, I did really well during the week on the whiting with those bigger tides. But now we're approaching that full moon. Uh, it's going to get a little tougher. Yep. Fish the bigger tides if you can. Uh, squid, plenty of squid. Western Port widening are going good too. There's still school tuna out the Western Port side, my side, so Port Phillip Bay Head side. I haven't seen a tuna. I haven't looked hard, but a lot of people have, and it's just dead at the minute. So there's no school tuna in that area at the moment that I know of. Uh, and then heading down the other way, there was more Mulloway caught in the Nelson as well, even off the moon. So there's there's heaps happening at the moment. Well, that wraps the whip around. We find out what's been biting in your neck of the woods. Plenty more real adventures to come after the break. You're listening to Real Adventures. It's now time for All Aboard. Our special guest this morning is Curtis Waterman from Helco Tackle. Good morning, Curtis. Morning, boys. How are you travelling? We're going well now, mate. Aaron was very excited this morning. He Last week, I think it was, how many did you catch in a day? 17 barrels in a day. We hooked 17. We, uh, I reckon we landed 13 or 14 of them. But not bad. So many of the charter boats that you see every day yep. are running Helco lures. And I said on the show last week, well, funny thing about that, I'm going to get Curtis from Helco on to discuss the lure technologies. And here we are this morning. So thanks for joining us, mate. No dramas. It's good to be here. 13 out of 17. That's not a bad. That's not a bad strike, right? You'd take that. Oh, it should have been 17, but I've got to blame the other boys for losing them, don't I? <laughs> we, uh, no, we, we had a very good session, which uh, we spoke about at the start of the show. But, Curtis, what I wanted to talk to you about was, before Pat jumps into a bit of the history of the Helcos, I just want to talk about the demand, I guess, and have you noticed it, I guess, in the past, I'm going to go with Three to five years since the local mm-hmm. tuna. Now the local, re- as in this Victorian is the reason. No, yeah, I was about. Thanks, Pat. This, uh, the, this is uh, where I live here in Victoria. We've had a massive run of school bluefin tuna. That we caught the odd one here or there, but Portland was the main uh, areas which you probably would have heard of. You would have heard of Port Mac and the likes. 
Polo Bay, but there was never fish where we were. And now there's multiple charter boats that have a, basically a 12-month tuna run. So they start here and they head down to Portland. They are literally running three to ten halcos at once at sometimes pulling uh, their skirts out completely and just running halcos. Are you guys noticing the demand of them? Because they are seriously posting them up on social media in the videos, especially the King Browns. Oh, mate, the King Browns a bit of a dirty word around here because we cannot make enough of them. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we've noticed it for sure. It's unbelievable. And, you know, we've, we've got some um, strong uh, guys there that have used our product for a long time and really supported us, and it's kind of just grown from there. And, um, yeah, we're really... You know, the Blazer Pros are cracking tuna lure, so, you know, it makes sense that the guy's running them. Um, but, yeah, to answer your question, yeah, we've, we've definitely noticed it, which is great. It's unreal. What's the secret behind the King Brown? Like, you've got a great range of lures, but let's be honest, nothing compares to the King Brown. <laughs> it's just, they, the charters run 10 of them, Pat, for a reason. What's the what's the secret in those? Is there, like, a little lolly in them? They smell, they have a little smell of them, or what is well, it? Scented, you little, think? I don't know. There's something in it. <laughs> but what the colour the color's not really appropriate like where we're fishing, like we're on white bait. These are nothing like white bait. So but why they do just they, work. they work? I've, they just work. I've got a bit of a theory about colour. You know, someone who makes a living off people buying lures, it's probably not the best way to go about it. But when colours just get a run on, like, and you think if, you know, there would be, there wouldn't be a single boat in Victoria fishing for those tuna that wouldn't run a King Brown at some point in their day. So, they spend more time in the water, they catch more fish. That's probably a more cynical way to look at it. Um, but no, for sure. And the other one is R9, which is a coral trout, which has got the same sort of orange and red kind of undertones. That one's been, when, when we run out of King Browns, um, the coral trout is the, is the next one. Once again. Uh, the next uh, tab off the rank that disappears. Once again, being the coral trout really relevant here in Victoria to why our fish <laughs> eat it. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! It's it's yeah, seriously. It just you got to do what works, and it is it is what works. And is there is it just one of those lures as such uh, divers that you that you just don't change? You just you just got to leave it. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, the laser pro one ninety, like all over the world, they're just you know. Um, and I, I'm obviously biased, but you know, I was an angler not associated with Helco for a long time, and that was my go-to. Um, all over the world, you know, you, you, you put those in your spread, you know, you've got a good chance of catching a fish. So, um, yeah, they go they go pretty well. What sort of technology goes into actually putting these together and making them run as good as they do? Because obviously that, like, yeah. since 1950, your technologies have changed drastically from, from timber to what it is now. Like, yeah. Is that something that's continually being innovated? Like, how often do you, you know, do you change something that works or... You know, that, that innovation, yeah. where does it come from? Yeah, so we're sort of a little bit different to um, a lot of the other lure companies, especially in Australia, where we actually manufacture. We've got a um, manufacturing facility um, that, that we make all our own products. Um, and so that's a little bit different from, from, you know, contracting or ordering something from a factory in China or, you know, whether you do the design or not. We actually make it ourselves, which gives us great control over all of those tiny little variables that go into making a really good lure. Um, which is why we've, you know, managed to have that hasn't that hasn't changed for a long time, and um, you know it won't change for a long time because it, it works. So when when something works, we try not to we try not to mess with it too much. Yep. Um, but yeah, having that facility ourselves allows us to to have real good control over a lot of those. Um, it's funny with lures. There's like 
and Ben Patrick, our managing director and owner, he does all of our lure design in-house um, at our facility here in Fremantle. And, you know, even it's funny, you talk to him when he's in the process of designing new stuff and there's still variables that come, you know, as a part of lure design that, that stump him and he's been doing it for 40 years, you know, and there's still, he calls it a black art, but, you know, there's, Having that facility and being able to do it ourselves, and, and, and obviously seven years of, of having done it ourselves, um, yeah, it means we can we can get it right most times. It's a great segue to, you know, great businesses, whether it's in fishing or it's footy or, or whatever it might be, automotive. Uh, stability is such an important part of really well-run organisations, and Helco certainly had that. So, 1950, it starts with Hal Cooper. Neil Patrick yep. purchases Helco in 1980, and then, as you yep. said, Ben's been there um, for 40 years. Um, it's been the same people. It's been family-run. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Hal Cooper started making – he was an engineer by trade and started making little metal lures in his back shed in Mosman Park. And then that business grew um, you know, in the 50s and 60s until they moved to a facility in Fremantle. And Neil Patrick, like you said, bought the company in 1980 and we've had um there's been two there was a Pakenham Street right in the heart of Fremantle for a long time and more recently we've moved um down onto the water in South Fremantle but you know the Patricks have had the company for for 45 years um you know Maura who's our CFO she remembers um being at work when when Neil was organizing Ben's 21st birthday party and you know now (laughs) Ben's the managing director in his mid-50s so and we're all you know they're all still here so it's um it's a big company. We sell to seventy five countries, but it's still just a family run little business at the end of the day as well, which is which is pretty cool. No wonder they've got no stock left. Seventy five countries, Pat. <laughs> I can't even get a King Brown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so seventy five countries, it's it's an interesting point around so what's your biggest market? Is it is it Australia or is it overseas? How much time do you put into obviously, you know, matching and managing all right, what's you know, biting in what part of the world versus now our our bread and butter is Australia. It's where we started and it's where we need to put our most, you know, time into. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, look, Australia is still our, it is our bread and butter. It's what, um, it's where the majority of our efforts go towards and, and trying to facilitate products into markets in Australia that we think are going to be really, really successful. Um, the United States is a big one for us as well that's been, sort of ticking away for a long time but um, more recently kind of the last two years we've really um, started putting a lot more effort in over there you know we went over last year to the states and did some fishing in Louisiana with some with some really skilled anglers and, and a charter company and, and we're going to go back in a couple of months so we are putting a fair bit of effort into the states and trying to make some products that are probably a little bit different to what we use here in Australia uh, and more targeted towards them because the, especially the big thing over here is like the laser pro is the ticket over here, especially with tuna. But in the states on that west coast of California, uh, the Max 130, which is the, the, it's a um, it's not a minnow, it's a it's a five star. You know that's the go-to for the tuna over there. So there are some little things that we kind of tweak in in different countries. But um, yeah, now Australia's still our still our number one. Now another another thing that works extremely well, Patrick. Something that's worked for me the best this year, I reckon. Uh, when the tuna want to be pricks at times, mm. is the 160 rooster popper, right? It's a cracker. Yeah, okay. It works and it is the most ridiculous looking Huge. thing again. It yeah. honestly is. It's massive. <laughs> With a stupid head on it. Yeah. 
what's going on with the designer there? What's he doing? Because these things <laughs> yeah, just work. They just work. Like, they are a weird, yeah. strange look, but they work so well. They create a great pop. They push water, and they come back to that surface when they pop so well, and they sit. And literally, that I have thrown everything at these fish this year to the stage where Lee Rayner was actually the person that told me to I had by chance I had one on the boat and I don't know why I even You were fishing with Lee? No I wasn't I was on the phone and I said I cannot get a bite on these fish and he goes mate the other day I was using these big poppers and he goes I got a bite on one and he goes I just kept using it kept catching and I've gone and I said to the boys let's just chuck one on First cast after we'd been fit. Remember, we spoke about it. Yes, we did. We and, did too. and it worked so well. It was the rooster popper in the 160. It worked so well on the local tuna this season. It just worked. Like the design that goes into that, like it's such a weird looking thing, but it just works so well. So that all comes back to the designer, obviously. Yeah, yeah. The, um, Ben's pretty proud of the rooster popper. It's, it's you know, for, for a lure that, you know, relatively cheap when you look at big. They are poppers. cheap. They are um, cheap. They are really yeah. cheap. Yeah. Especially when you compare them to like those GT, big GT stuff, um, you know, they're a fraction of the price. And, and that's that's pretty cool that you're getting the tuna on them. Normally, you'd be thinking, I, I mean, my gut feel is you're thinking of downsides as, as far as you can to try and get a bite. But Trust that, that Rooster 160, the base, and then it's got like a couple of slits, kind of like out on either side of the cup, throws a lot of water, but it thing with that one is it makes it easy to work like you're not having you don't have to be an elite athlete Curtis just problem, be quiet now please because I was stuffed after <laughs> casting this thing for four minutes <laughs> oh now I look stupid I was just about to say like, my bloody ribs and everything are sore from pulling this thing back <laughs> um, you, you were catching fish so that's fine uh, yeah well that was uh, I just was like you said before, in shock, like they're on white bait. We can't get a bite on these tuna. Like we're casting everything at them. My normal tricks that usually you can generate a bite or two just wouldn't work. And small, like small metals, everything, like stuff. And then you just pull out this ridiculous popper that looks a bit silly. Let's be honest. It's the rooster popper pad. The name says it. Doesn't and matter how it looks as long as it works. It works. Like it just, it was incredible to see this thing in action catching like 20 to 35 kilo tuna, but like it wasn't just working. It was every cast. Like it was, nothing else was working. And this thing was like, as soon as you put it on top of them, because they were on like a tight ball, small white bait, it just hook up pretty much all the time. And that was for weeks running. It's good to see. That's wicked. I reckon tuna, like that size tuna on poppers, like that's that's well up there on my list in terms of, you know, fun that you can have out on the boat. Like that would be, Pretty close to the team. More than welcome to come uh, cast for me, and I'll get the photo at the end. That's fine, Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, Curtis, tell us about uh, the fishing show that you are hosting on Perth Six PR before we before we finish up. Because how long have we we've been lucky enough? We, ha- we haven't been we? sacked yet, so we've been going for six <laughs> years. But it's always great to talk to people that, that are getting into the. And you've been in fishing for a long time, but getting into the uh, the fishing radio space because there isn't too many fishing radio shows. Don't do it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not heaps, and you know Carl Langdon, who I've taken over from, um, the great Carlos. Yeah, he's he's done it for a lot. I think I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure Carl started the fishing show on Six Bar on a Saturday morning when he was still playing at the Eagles. So it was a long time ago, and. Um, He's moved into doing breakfast with Millsy now um, and he's doing the footy and Optus Stadium and has heaps on his plate. So I got the call up from him, which I was honoured to receive. And yeah, it's, it's pretty early, you know, 
5 a.m. to 6 a.m. on a on a Saturday morning. <laughs> so it's, um, I don't know who I'm talking to, but I'm talking, and um, yeah, no, it's good. It's it's wicked. I've I've done a couple of weeks and 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 love it. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on uh, Real Adventures this morning, and no doubt we'll uh, we'll continue to talk to you because Alco Tackle it features prominently in both our tackle boxes, and I'm sure plenty around the country. Curtis, thanks for your time this morning on Real Adventures. No dramas, boys. Thanks for having me. The Real Adventures Review for TJM. Take the lead with TJM. Proudly the first Australian-made and manufactured four-wheel drive equipment since 1973. It's now time for Red's Review, our product review of the week. And we're talking live bait pumps. Live bait tanks, dear DIY, dear buy a boat that's already got them. That's going to cost you a little bit more because... Retrofitting is always cheaper rather than purchasing a, you know, a brand new boat, Redman, just for the sake of a live bait tank. Um, but it's a huge part of the fishing that you do. It's a really important part. At the moment, Bargain Boat Bits have them for 179 bucks. You've got to install it yourself. But when it comes to capturing the fish, particularly, you know, you talk often, Redman, around uh, if you really want to hit kingfish, live bait mm. are the best option. You can't do that without somewhere to store them really important live bait tanks they've caught that's the reason we catch a lot of fish even yeah. the barrels like live bait it's just yeah. the live bait it just works even marlin fishing you need live bait barrels they'll, you'll get fish on like the other day we could have caught them on anything you're nearly too scared to take a pee over the side of the boat to tell you the truth Patrick <laughs> be close to the water but it, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things that you just need to have and you need to have something well set up for it so just to give you an example my boat North Bank 6 metre I've got it on the back corner of my boat where traditionally you'd have some people would have batteries in there or storage in that back corner so it's I've probably around an 80 litre tank I'd say give or take yep. you've got yours situated in under the bait board bit bigger boat Yep. I think that's the ideal spot. I don't like where mine is. Yep. The reason I don't like where mine is is because you get a fish out and it slips out of your hand, it's in the water. It's gone. Yep. I've lost squid out of the back. We lost a lot of red bait out of the back trying to grab them because they kick and they're gone. Yep. Ideally for me, I would put it in the middle of the boat where yours is, well, really under the bait on tank. The North Bank 750. Yep. Another great idea is uh, Chucky who come on my boat uh, just previously on that barrel trip. But the trip before, I went on his boat and he has a reef runner. And what he's done... Caribbean. Is, Caribbean Reef Run. Old school. It's older well, than that old, but one of the beautiful uh, boat. Classic boat. Absolute beautiful boat. He, now, what he's done, and this is a great example, is tradition, like, you're, like this is actually similar to yours. So you know how you've got your seats on the back of your seats, the ones that uh, face the deck, I guess you should say. Uh, you can sit Sorry, down. Sorry, gotcha. Yes, passengers yes, can yes. sit down. The uh, You've got your seat box, and you've got the extended section at the back, which turns into a seat with a cushion on top. Well, here's how he's got that on his Reef Runner. So what he did was that got cut out and sealed and he turned that into his live bait tank and plumbed it straight out the side of the boat. So that now is a live bait tank and it works an absolute treat. What I like about it is, once again, you're not reaching into the sides of the boat uh, to, uh, sorry, not reaching to the back corners of the boat to yep. get your live baits. The only drama is is when you the water obviously falls into the boat when you empty it. So you've got to, like the water's going to fall into your boat rather than out the side of your boat. But it just works an absolute treat. The outlet's up the top, the intake's down the bottom. It just works really well. So there are methods to do it. 
like what I've just said to you then, there's three ways there, examples, and it's a must-to-have on a, on, a, on, a, on a boat. Even if you're squid fishing and whatnot, you can keep your squid alive, you can keep things fresh. Like, it just works really, really well. And it's something that... And, and even defrosting baits, it works really well running fresh frozen water. Uh, not frozen water, just sitting in a bucket that doesn't defrost your pillies in the middle of winter. You can have your pillies getting defrosted. So a live bait tank is a must on a boat for me. That is Red's Review. That was for TJM. Take the lead with TJM. Quality four-wheel drive equipment. You're listening to Real Adventures. Welcome back to Real Adventures. We're on the home stretch. Now it is time for Red's Tip. Yeah, and it's something that I've been doing with the like lateral lines of the tuna, the, the stuff that you don't want to eat. So the blood lines and also like the offcuts of my King George whiting, I instead of just putting it in a bin and getting thrown out, I try and turn it into something useful. Yep. So it goes back to the water as such. Burley mincer is really important. Now you can set these up at home. I'm about to I just got a new place, so I'm about to set it up off the I'm setting up a cutting station at home along the side of my garage which is going to have a burly mincer attached to it. So I can literally just feed whiting heads straight through it and have a bag on the bottom and it catches it. A bit easier than just using a knife and trying to chop the crap out. Oh, 100% it is. And <laughs> it works really well for makos, for your whiting. I wouldn't use whiting for whiting, but all these tuna that you get at the lateral lines, the, the stuff that you're going to chuck out, don't waste it. Yeah. Use it. Chuck some pillies in with it or chuck some pallets in with it, whatever you want to do. It's up to you. And make up some your own burly... Uh, your own burly uh, bags so you're not spending 12 to $15 on a burly bag yeah, and you're using the crap. No, for an extra 15 minutes yeah. of bagging it, literally, by the time you slide a squatting head into the mincer, turn it can on. You can you bones through that as well? Like- yeah, everything. So I've got, I just purchased a new one but you can, like I'm looking at one here. This is a hand-used one. This one's $90. It's a medium burly mincer and you can get a large, uh, sorry, that's $69 for a medium and you can get a $90 for a large and just run them hook a motor up to it and it yep. will work an absolute treat. So there's different ways you can do it, but I'd be making your own burley and it saves you so much money and time. Might even hook up the Ryobi. We're going to send a drill. A, we're going to do a new pitch next week. What can we review? <laughs> All right, the flying gaff this week heads to a man that has been caught on camera tucking into, uh, well, an interesting uh, meal whilst shopping at uh, Westfield in Adelaide. My old stomping ground, Westfield. Oh, I did see this. Uh a man has been seen eating raw chicken drumsticks whilst on an escalator in Westfield Marion in Oakland Park. Uh, safe to say uh, onlookers were apparently disgusted. Uh, I think it's a little bit dangerous, isn't it? Like raw chicken? Or he's smart and he's been doing it his whole life and his immune system's like a dog's, just so tough. New South Wales Food Authority warns raw poultry and meat may contain harmful bacteria, including salmonella. Imagine if I did that with my immune system. I'd be in a bit of trouble, I reckon. (laughs) So the gaff this week heads to the man at Marion eating raw chicken out of the uh, raw chicken chumpsticks uh, straight from the It's not the beautiful bluefin that we get, is it? No, it's not. It's (laughs) sashimi chicken. It's just something that doesn't roll off the tongue. Uh, We hope you've enjoyed Real Adventures this morning. We will see you and do it all again next week.